If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in His life and death and resurrection as your only hope of being right with Him, God promises you that that one who puts his trust in Christ, the cornerstone, will never be disappointed. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Is there a role you play in salvation? Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue the series titled Human Responsibility. The Bible refers to Jesus Christ as a cornerstone. In the ancient world, a cornerstone played a key role in the construction of a building. Every stone in the foundation of the building was prepared, squared, and cued to the cornerstone. It played a unique and special role that could not be replaced. Well, the same is true of Jesus and the gospel. He is the most valuable cornerstone because he alone offers the only way of salvation. The one who believes in Christ by faith receives a right standing with God because of Christ's righteousness. The one who believes will never be put to shame. Such a rich and marvelous promise from Scripture. Let's join Tom now to find out more here on The Word Unleashed. Verse 32 says, They stumbled over, they tripped over, and were offended by the stumbling stone. Now, Paul is borrowing that image from the Old Testament. Notice verse 33, just as it is written. And then what follows are two Old Testament texts. Paul takes two passages from Isaiah and combines them into this verse. He combines Isaiah 8, verse 14, and Isaiah 28, verse 16. The first and last parts of verse 23 come from Isaiah 28. The middle part of verse 33 comes from Isaiah 8. So he kind of sandwiches it all together. Let's go back and look at these texts in their context. Go back to Isaiah, and let's start at chapter 28. Isaiah 28 and verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Now, let me give you the context of this verse. Here, it's addressed to the false hope of the southern kingdom, Judah, the false hope that they had placed in Egypt. They were being faced with a military threat from the Assyrians. And rather than putting their trust in God, they ran to Egypt, as they so often did, and said, let's make an alliance with Egypt, and they'll protect us from the Assyrians. And that was a false hope. And so here, in this verse, God tells them, listen, there is a much more secure foundation for your hope than Egypt. It's the Messiah who's coming. Now notice what he says in verse 16. I am laying... God himself is putting this stone into place in a particular location in Zion. That is, not in a a physical place, but among the people of God. 
a stone. And then he says this. Notice how he describes the stone. It is a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation. Now, a tested stone in Hebrew is literally a stone of testing. Now, that's important because when you understand that, it can mean two different things. A stone of testing may mean that the cornerstone itself has been tested and approved to function as a cornerstone. That's how the NAS translators take it. More likely, it's the second idea. A stone of testing means the cornerstone is that against which everything else is tested. That's what a cornerstone does. That makes perfect sense. It is the stone that tests everything else. That's the idea. That was the function of a cornerstone. You see, cornerstones were absolutely crucial in building ancient buildings of importance and significance. You know, today, there might be a cornerstone in a building, and it's ornamental, it's ceremonial. Maybe there's a little stone that has the date the building was built, or in some cases, they'll, it's hollowed out, and they'll put some memorabilia inside the cornerstone that represents what was going on at the time the building was built and so forth. But in the ancient world, it wasn't like that. Cornerstones were crucial to the structure of the building itself. In fact, they were often huge. In fact, the, the cornerstone and the foundation stones of Herod's temple, some of you have been there and you've seen them. Those of you who are going with us this November, you'll see them. You can go down beneath an area of the temple there and you can see some of those original foundation stones and some of them are as large as a railroad boxcar. They're mammoth. And here's how it worked. If, if you needed to build a building, you started with a cornerstone. So at the quarry where the stones were being cut and, and brought to the building site, there at the quarry, the best and, and brightest craftsmen were selected. And the cornerstone then was painstakingly and carefully prepared and squared. It may be huge, but it's carefully squared. In, in many cases, even in the ancient world, down to the fraction of an inch square. Then that carefully prepared cornerstone was transported to the building site, and with a lot of pomp and ceremony, usually the city fathers were there and other important officials, it was placed into position there at the, at the corner of that building, and it was put into place in a carefully plot of prepared ground. And once it was put in place, it simply couldn't be moved except for with an army of men. Now, once the, the cornerstone was laid, the rest of the foundation stones were laid, but here's the key. The rest of those foundation stones were all squared and cued to that cornerstone. It became the measure of everything in the building. Then once the foundation was completely laid, then they would begin to erect stones on the foundation, and those stones were in turn, squared to the foundation stones. So in the end, the cornerstone was truly the ultimate measure of everything in the building. According to Isaiah 28, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. But Paul also quotes from Isaiah chapter 8. Go back there with me. 
Isaiah chapter 8, notice verse 13. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary, but to both houses of Israel. Now notice the comparison here. He's going to be a sanctuary for some, a place of refuge and safety, and for others in both houses of Israel, both the north and the south, he will be a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them, then they will fall and be broken. They will even be ensnared and caught. Now what's going on here? Again, the context is another occasion where Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, was being threatened militarily. And, you know, some things never change. It was Syria and the northern kingdom, the northern tribes of Israel. There was a military federation of, these, of Syria and the northern tribes, and, and once again, the people were fearful, and they were looking at some other alternative. And God says to them, don't be afraid. He says, I will be a refuge. I will be a sanctuary for all who trust in me, and I will be a stumbling stone and a rock of offense to everyone else. Now, notice here in chapter 8 that the stone is God Himself. The fact that the New Testament attributes this passage to Jesus is just another evidence of His deity. Now, with that background, go back to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 33, just as it is written, and here's Isaiah 28, behold, I lay in Zion, and here's Isaiah 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You see, that valuable cornerstone that God himself had laid among his people became a source of stumbling and literally a rock of scandal. The Greek word is scandalon, from which we get the English word scandal or scandalized. So what's Paul saying here? He's answering the question, why haven't more Jews believed? And his answer to that is because Scripture itself, Isaiah tells us that most of the people of Israel would stumble over their Messiah and reject Him. Why? Well, we're not told here, and I'm not going to take you there, but you remember the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, where it says that the cross, the message of the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. The Greek word, scandalon again. It's a scandal. It's a scandal of the Jews that they trip over. They can't deal with. Why? Because the concept of a crucified, dying Messiah cursed on a tree was unthinkable. It's the scandal of the cross. And that's exactly what Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 11. The cross is a scandalon, a scandal, a scandalous idea that the Messiah, that God Himself, a crucified God, what a scandal. We just can't go there. Why did the Jews, and, and let's make it more contemporary, why do so many religious people today still stumble, not over the concept of a Jesus of their own making, many are comfortable with that, but over the biblical Jesus? Why do they stumble over that? Because if you rely on your own works as the means to be right with God, 
you'll never embrace Christ and His gospel of grace. If you think you can save yourself, you will never embrace the one who came to save you. And in the end, if you reject God's only way, the stone He placed, if you stumble over that stone and reject Him, then you will bear, and this is Paul's point here in this context, you will bear the full and complete responsibility for it, and no one else. On the other hand, and I love this, look at verse 33, he who believes in Him will not be disappointed. Now Paul returns to Isaiah 28. He comes back to the other verse. And he quotes it here at the end of verse 33. The Greek word translated disappointed means to be dishonored, disgraced, or put to shame. It's the shame and disappointment that come with, with being aware of the fact that your hope, your confidence was misplaced. And it's not going to save you. It's not going to help you. Perhaps you read the story a few months ago about those poor children in Mexico whose cancer was treated with fake chemotherapy. Here's what a government official, a Mexican government official said, quote, we have results from a laboratory that pointed out that the chemotherapy that was given to the children was not really a drug, but an inert compound. It was practically distilled water, end quote. Now, that is truly tragic. Those families believed that those drugs were real and that they were really helping their children, and yet, sadly, several of those children died. Those parents were tragically disappointed because of where they had placed their hope. But come back to Romans 9, verse 33. God promises. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in His life and death and resurrection as your only hope of being right with Him, God promises you that that one who puts his trust in Christ, the cornerstone, will never be disappointed. Never be put to shame. Never be disgraced. So what are the implications of this amazing picture of our Lord and of this passage? For the next few minutes as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table, let me just draw out several implications. Implication number one. Many still stumble over and are offended by Jesus Christ. Still happens today, just like it did in the first century. Why? The same reasons. His claims to be God offend many people's reason. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, really, God came and became man? His sinlessness offends their guilt. The idea of one who's perfectly holy, it offended the people in the first century, and it still offends people today because it just highlights their own guilt. His exclusive claims, and this is a big one in our day, his exclusive claims, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Those offend our, our general cultural disposition toward inclusivism. His death, and this is the key one, His death on the cross as our only hope of salvation, that offends the pride of many people. 
One author put it this way, the fact that Christ died for our sins is proof positive that we cannot save ourselves. But to make this humbling confession is an intolerable offense to our pride. So instead of humbling ourselves, we stumble over the stumbling stone. A second implication of this passage is that nothing in life or in death is more important than your response to Jesus Christ. God placed him permanently and finally as the one and only cornerstone. That means he is central. Your relationship to God rests entirely on your attitude toward and response to Jesus Christ and what he has done. He is the cornerstone. Many people, particularly in North Texas, love to speak about God. And, you know, it's kind of, it's still popular to have some sort of spirituality and talk about, you know, your relationship to God. And, you know, I, I believe in God. I have a relationship with God. They talk about living a good life, doing the best they can, trying to help others, trying to be generous and help, you know, with compassion and endeavors, being a spiritual person. Listen, all of that is fine and good, but let me just be very frank with you. All of that is meaningless if you don't have a relationship with the cornerstone. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. As Lloyd-Jones put it, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, his life, his teaching, but especially his death upon the cross and his resurrection and ascension are the foundation, the only foundation, whereon man can be right with God and righteous in his sight. If you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, let me just tell you, there is no other way. He is the cornerstone that God has laid, and you must respond to him. And that brings me to number three, a third implication. There are only two possible responses to Jesus. Look at verse 33. You either believe in him, that is, you put your complete trust in him and build on him as the foundation of your life. If I could kind of continue the image, rather than stumbling over him, you cast yourself entirely on him as your only refuge, your only hope, and then you build your life on him. Or you reject him, either in antagonism or apathy. And make no mistake, both of those are rejection. You see, the only other response to the cornerstone than to believe in him is to trip over him and fall to your own destruction. In fact, Jesus put it this way. I mentioned this verse earlier. Matthew 21, verses 42 to 44, Jesus said to them, did you never read in the Scriptures? Ouch. You know, these are, these are religious people. Didn't you ever read this? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus said, you know that passage in Psalm 118 about the builders rejecting the stone and his becoming the cornerstone? It's me. That's what Jesus says. And then he adds this. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, if you fall on this stone, if you stumble over Jesus and reject him, the stone is going to be completely unaffected, but you're going to be crushed. You're going to be shattered, broken in pieces. And someday at the final judgment, 
Christ will be like a stone that crushes all who reject him. You see, it's like this. Whether pottery falls on a stone or whether the stone falls on the pottery, the result is the same. Whether you deliberately reject Jesus Christ in this life and stumble over him and say, no, no Jesus for me, or whether you just ignore him and live in apathy and indifference, someday the stone falls. The results will be the same. Jesus Christ, let me put it this way, Jesus Christ is either the cornerstone on which you have cast yourself and your eternity and on which you are building your life, or he will be the rock that crushes you. Those are the only two options. Number four, true faith in Jesus Christ means he has become the cornerstone of your life. He has become the cornerstone of your life. If you're a Christian, it means your life is built on Him. And it means that you have an earnest desire that everything about your life be shaped and measured against Him. You want to think like He wants you to think. You want to speak like He wants you to speak. You want to work like He would be pleased with your work. You want to direct your family in a way that, that squares with what He wants. You want to live generally in a way that is consistently squared to Jesus Christ. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. He is your cornerstone. Number five. And I love this one. No one who believes in Jesus will be disappointed, dishonored, or shamed at the judgment. You know, maybe you have repented of your sins. Maybe you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, in his life, his death, his resurrection as your only hope of being right with God. Maybe it's your heart's desire to please him and to live for him. But You don't fully understand the fullness of the gospel yet, and you still live in the spirit of fear about what comes after death and and what it's going to be like when you stand before God at the judgment. Look at verse 33. Here's God's promise. He who believes in Him, the cornerstone, will not be disappointed. If your life is built on the cornerstone, it will stand the judgment. You will not be disappointed. You will not be be disgraced. You will not be put to shame. Jesus Christ, your Lord, simply will not let it happen. And God the Father will not let it happen. I love the way Jude finishes his little letter. He says, now to him, that is the Father, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. If your faith is in Jesus Christ the cornerstone, you will never be disappointed. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that was part four of his series, Human Responsibility. Tom will have part five for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, Tom, before we end our time today, how about sharing a closing thought with us? You know, friend, can I just remind you, if you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've repented and believed in Him, 
then he is to be the cornerstone of our lives. My life, your life, is to be shaped, to be measured against Jesus Christ and his word. We want to think like he thinks. We want to walk like he walks. We want to please our Father just as Jesus our Lord pleased the Father. We have to be driven to live a life that is consistent with the Scripture, one that desires to love Jesus Christ, to love his people, and to take seriously life in a biblical church, one that honors God in all things. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music